He was a morbidly obese surgeon destined for an operating table and an early death. Now he's a rebel MD who is fabulously fit and fighting to make America healthy again. This is Stay Off My Operating Table with Dr. Philip Ovedia. Well, Phil, uh, we got somebody today who is has an entirely different background than almost any of our guests before. Um, and I did a little bit of research, and I've got all kinds of questions I want to ask her. But uh, why don't you why don't you uh, tell us why we've got this interesting woman here with us today? Sure thing, yes. And Krishna uh, Hanks, uh, very excited to introduce her to the audience. A uh, number of reasons why she's on, as you said, very uh, interesting background. I'm going to say uh, certainly the first uh, professional dancer that we've had uh, on the uh, show and uh, very well, uh, very uh, good depth of knowledge uh, around nutrition and fitness. And that is what uh, led me to uh, hire Krishna as one of the health coaches in our new uh, group coaching program. Uh, so for both of those reasons, I'm very excited to have this conversation and to introduce Krishna to the audience. Krishna, why don't you start by giving us a little bit of your uh, background? Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Philip. It's an honor to be here. And I'm certainly very excited to be part of the Ovadia Isaac's Heart Health team here uh, to help improve, let's say, the nation's, I'm going to be bold here, the nation's metabolic health as we go farther in this process. So I would say, in the words of my mother, and my mother was right about everything, I'm very eclectic, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, grew up in the Midwest and I'm going to make right away the coaching link. Both my father and my basketball, uh, and my brother were basketball coaches. Uh, my father's one of the most successful basketball coaches in Illinois. I think he still holds the record for 20 consecutive seasons of 20 wins or more. Um, wow. my brother also coached on the international scale, uh, in Venezuela and England. Anyway. I grew up with coaching. Let's just say it's kind of in my genes. That, I think, is a link. But anyway, I started dancing professionally in the Midwest at the age of 15. And that took me on quite a journey through lots of American cities from Chicago to New York, um, different companies, different productions. Ended up the latter part of my career in the Netherlands. Uh, working also with a variety of companies from the Dutch National Opera to choreographer named Lisa Marcus, different productions. So a 30-plus year career um, as a professional dancer. But like any good dancer, you have to do all kinds of other things along the way to survive not only financially, but mentally and physically. So throughout that period, I not only got certified in various different things from my Yengar yoga to classical Pilates. I was what, a what kind of trainer. yoga? A Yengar yoga. Okay. 
Yeah, if this is a special sort of very much orientated on alignment. Um, it's founded by a man named BKS Iyengar, um, who wrote pretty much the Bible on yoga called Light on Yoga. Um, very anatomy orientated. Um, that's something that always fascinated me that how does that body really work in alignment and physically? So personal training um, led me to one of the jobs that I uh, worked for as a dancer in New York City was more in the realm of what I would call worksite wellness, helping companies develop their wellness programs. So that led me down that path of working with corporations, trying to improve the health of their employees, and then just seeing all the struggles that individuals have. Um, then I started veering more into the coaching realm. So I've had several decades of both just executive coaching as well as health coaching, um, trying to be that person to help people figure out the plan of putting all these pieces of health together. Uh, this got in that little bit of the story. I have a couple of okay, educational well, well, I'm, I, we, we, we need to address the elephant in the room. Okay. I want to tell, want you to tell us which part of Illinois, um, your accent comes from. Well, my accent, remember I said my mother was right. Eclectic, um, comes also because I speak Dutch, right? So I lived two decades in the Netherlands. So yes, I have a, underlying midwest from quincy illinois i went to school at indiana university in bloomington indiana so illinois indiana and then ended up in the netherlands so yes it's okay <laughs> you know it reminds me quick quick story that has nothing to do with any of this except it it's just it it, it tickled me when it occurred, I worked in England 20 years ago. And while I was, uh, I was at the office one day and one of the guys who worked there, he knew I was from America and he came and, and, uh, he said, Oh, I'm going to America for, for, for holiday. And, uh, he said, now, where do you live? I said, I'm in Phoenix. Well, now where is that? Well, it's about 300 miles east of the coast of of Los Angeles. You know where Los Angeles is? He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, I'm going real close to there. Where are you going? I'm going to the Midwest. And, uh, you know, obviously it's stupid that as Americans, we call that part of the country, the Midwest. Now, I guess it was 200 years ago, but anyway, so I was thinking maybe that was that part of the Midwest you were from where that particular accent was, was dominant. Okay. Now, very <laughs> unique combination. So, um, Chris, now what is what would you say some of the takeaways uh, were from you know the many years you spent as a professional uh, dancer, and you know, very similar to you know professional athletes, you know, fitness, uh, nutrition. Uh, these are things that I'm sure were emphasized, and you probably saw a lot of. Uh, you were, um, you know, a lot of your fellow dancers doing a lot of things around that. And I'm wondering what, uh, you know, when you look back at sort of as you were ending your professional uh, dancing career, uh, what some of your ideas around that may have been 
Uh, and then we can probably talk about where where they may have changed over the years since then. That's a great question. I'm not sure anyone's ever asked me about that, so that's fun. Well, first I would say one of the most important, I think, things I took away from three-plus decades of professional dancing is, as a dancer, your body is your work, is your machine, it's your livelihood. So your priority on a daily basis is taking care of that. It's trying to make sure you don't get injured. It's trying to make sure you're fueled, not only for rehearsals, but for touring, for productions, for everything that comes along. And, you know, working, I I worked in the modern dance world where it's not that we have this huge team of physical therapists following us along and everyone to you have to be pretty much self-sufficient yourself. So I think that level of being of the priority that you must take care of your body is has carried on with me consistently. Um, I also think that you're highly aware um, as a performer professionally of that it's more than just one thing. You 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 train obviously in movement day in day out as a dancer, but you know all those other pieces your your mindset, uh, your food, getting good sleep, being able to you know have some periods where you're also being able to enjoy your family, community, those things. You see the importance of all that, and I think. That's something I try to take with me also as a health coach is just that we all, especially as health coaches, we're trying to help everyone be a little more self-sufficient, to not think that there's just a um, medical system here. So I, I think those are some of the links that I've carried on. Um, also, just the passion for the human body and all its complexity and that we're also unique not only in the way we move, but how we just operate on a daily basis. I want you to do a little bit of name dropping, but it doesn't have to be name dropping. Um, what's the favorite role you ever danced? And what's the favorite show you ever choreographed? Well... I'll start with the choreography first. So I choreographed a piece for a company uh, in London and that was owned and operated by Joseph Bushlamingo, who used to work for the Royal Shakespeare Company, and her husband, Stefan Carsberg. And it was based on the story, particularly the um, relationship between Rosa Luxemburg and her lover. Um, so it was a little bit political, but it was very interesting uh, piece. It was also on location. And then there's a difference between performing on stage and we do these things we call location pieces where you wow. go to a place. It might be outdoors or it might be this, you know, abandoned warehouse. Um, and this was set on that location. So we got to make it right specifically for that piece. So that was super fun. Um, one of the most interesting choreographers I worked for um, was in the Netherlands 
uh, Lisa Marcus. She's actually an American who had been there for years. And uh, we did several productions together in there. Um, and maybe the, let's say, kind of mo most bizarre, I don't know if it's bizarre, but there was a film director named Peter Greenway. I don't know if that rings a bell for any of it. He did a couple productions for the Dutch National Opera, which I was a part of. So that was kind of very unique, having a film director do a dance. So those are kind of some highlights. What about roles? Did you have a favorite role? A role that you were, it was like, oh, I finally got to dance that role. <laughs> um, we, also in modernness, we don't really get. It's not the same in modern dance? Yeah. Uh, I mean, they don't really have names, but um, there was a, there were, there was actually very many. Um, I, I think part of the reason I had a 30 plus year career is I, I just loved it forever. Um, uh, so, yeah. Hard well, to pick one. As I understand it, and I, and I don't understand much about dance, but um, it's extremely difficult on the body. Um, so my assumption is you must have been taking very good care of yourself all along anyway, because you hear stories all the time about dancers reach their <laughs> their early 30s. And they realize they're done, and you clearly went far beyond that. Um, did you happen to have any specific, any special genetic advantage, or was this just strictly you took better care of yourself? Uh, I I would say probably some of both. First, having witnessed having had a father who was a coach, I saw the importance of cross training. I saw the importance of being very disciplined, I'm still very disciplined. Um, it, it, that discipline is maybe placed in different buckets these days. Um, and I think being aware, as I, you know, throughout my career, being more conscious of that, um, of also the other pieces that I mentioned to you that you know, nutrition that you get adequate rest and that you don't take the you don't do those risky things particularly the older you get you know i, I wasn't you weren't going to be seeing me on the ski slopes right? well that that was not something i was going to be doing i was not going to be running a marathon uh, you know i i took a real priority to not put myself in risky places um but i think the fact also that i grew up doing a lot of other physical things i, I would swim you know, I, I did Pilates as I was dancing, which is, a you know, another form of movement, but not as strenuous as, as dancing. So a form of movement that could repair yourself and um, just being consistent. I, I think that's something that I, I, I learned early in my career. The more you're consistent with taking care of yourself, the less chance you're going to have risk. There's going to be risk. Yeah, I had a couple of injuries. And then you have to learn how to take care of yourself to come back from those. Having also a good team around you is helpful. I'm I'm thinking about who the typical listener to this show is. And most of the time it's, and this is a gross overgeneralization, but it's still not inaccurate. Most of the time, the people who are listening to this show are looking to do one particular thing above all else. And that's lose weight. And um, 
I'm guessing that that has never been a struggle for you. So the average listener is going, well, what is, what can I learn from her? I need somebody like Dr. Ovedia who struggled with this, the same thing I struggled with. And he understands the pain and the the frustration and blah, 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 blah. Um, what do you say to those folks that, that see that you haven't struggled with the, the weight issue like they have? Also, very good question, because I think um, if anyone has sort of delved into my story, it is that I have my own health issues, particularly towards the end of my health career, and that health is not only about weight. I have severe joy issue problems, um, and this is a sort of culmination, again, in my opinion, culmination of being 20 years vegetarian which depleted my body of a lot of nutrition. Uh, and this created, you know, severe joint issues. I had some digestion and skin issues. So I had gone from this state of being, asking my body to do anything and everything it wanted to do, and it always did it, to basically struggling with daily motion of sitting up, standing up. So... It was dramatic, both from a mental state, from a physical state. Um, and as it turns out, I was probably pre-diabetic. I was not metabolically healthy, right? I was consuming massive amounts of carbohydrates and sugar because I took the meat away and I filled it up with all kinds of other things. So I think what what is... I think important, we all have our own sort of history of maybe health things we dealt with. Yes, you're right. Weight has not been something that I have struggled with, but I certainly had my periods where my mom would say, oh, you're kind of chunky or, you know, we're weight. And, and, you know, because of my profession, you know, you're kind of oh yeah always were obsessed with it, but that's really normalized. Um, but I, I think... I experienced what I hope to share with a lot of people is I've experienced some bad, you know, periods as well. It wasn't necessarily on the scale. It was in a different form. Well, I think, yeah. I think when you're talking about somebody who's, who struggles with pain, uh, that's, it, there is no one on the planet who cannot relate to that. And, and you know, you're now, I would say the third, uh, maybe fourth, you know, kind of high level active athlete, you know, uh, that we've had on the show now, uh, with a similar story, you know, people, uh, have the, we've been told that, you know, if you're active enough, you know, it, it really doesn't matter what you eat, you know, you can outwork the bad diet, uh, and, you know, just balance what you do with what you eat as, as, you know, we hear so often today, but you're now, like I said, we've had a number of other high-level athletes on who were, you know, very physically active, well beyond what the average person does, and yet, you know, ended up with health challenges uh, related to what they were eating. Did you, um, is that something you observed in uh, many of your colleagues as well? Oh, you know, dance is notorious for unhealthy behaviors. I think we've, we've, <laughs> We've gotten better over the decades. And I think one of the saving graces for me is finishing up my career in Europe. 
as opposed to in America, um, it there's still a little more nuance around meals should be enjoyable, right? Everything doesn't have to be about takeout fast food, that there's still a little more hum- what I call humanness around food and nutrition. And that could all have changed, right? Uh, we, we left the Netherlands in, what, 2004-ish, I think. So I have no idea what how they are now. But that said, I think we often look at the athletes in exactly Philip is it we say, look at that that body. It's amazing. It look what it's doing. We don't know often the backstory of some struggles they might have, whether it be, you know, skin or digestive or focus even. Um, and you know, one of the reasons I went down the, the vegetarian path is, you know, the, the dancer brain thinking, oh, that's going to help me keep my weight at, you know, what it is now. There were a lot of other people doing it, um, being on the road. I thought, well, maybe this is easier. And lo and behold, then I did for 20 years, but it took, I think the dance, obviously I'll never, I'm not seeing causation. But the dance took its toll. You know, I, I stopped dancing at 43. That's that's pretty very, very long. Um, but the 20 years of vegetarian, it just really like was a kind of hammer on my joint and tissue uh, system. And that's you don't you, you wouldn't see it because, you know, I wasn't overweight or something. And no not one doctor in the two years I was in my sort of what I called the medical hamster wheel trying to figure out, you know, do I have some rare form of cancer, some autoimmune disease? Not one person asked me about my nutrition. You need to unpack that. There's a, there's <laughs> more of a story there. Yeah. And, and yeah, I want to hear gonna more be interested about in the, the yeah. process that you went through to figure this all out. So when I started having these bouts of, you know, really bad joint pain. And that for me, it was particularly located lower back spine and, you know, where feeling like it was almost immobile with a sit down and think, not sure if I can stand up. Wow. So I spent two years going from various different doctors, being referred this, that, and the other, you know, and also, you know, they went through the whole thing, a, a strange autoimmune disease, it's some form of rheumatoid arthritis, but we can't figure out what it is. Maybe we, we need to do, you know, kind of some other kind of cancer, you know, testing, all those kind of things. So anyway, at the end of two years, I had dinner with a dear friend of mine who's a physical therapist, and he said, you know what, you have done everything. We can't do, I don't know of any other test you could do. Have you ever thought about your diet? <laughs> right. You know, and you know how you I, I was particularly like, what do you mean my diet's perfect? Been vegetarian for 20 years, you know, all bristled up, really, you know, very defensive. Mm. First thing I did the next morning though was call him and apologize, but said, I'm thinking about it. And then just a bunch of sort of cascading things happened in. My husband read the article by Garrett Hobbs that said, what if it's all been a big fat lie? And we're both kind of light bulbs going off about this. Mm. 
What about well, inflammation, right? We, we don't know what that. I, I know Phil knows the, the article. Yeah. For the so, rest of us, what was the what it, was the gist it, of the article? Basically, sort of said, you know, what if we've had it all wrong, saying that it's saturated fat and fat is the problem, and maybe it's carbohydrates and sugar that are causing some of the issues here. And I'm, you know, I just completely reflected back. Well, my whole diet is basically carbohydrates and sugar. And maybe it's because he talks a lot about the inflammation and different things that maybe I've got some similar things, but haven't maybe necessarily just put on weight, but I've got some similar issues. And then we went down the whole rabbit hole. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So most folks are are looking at a, a weight gain and it's kind of a, oh, my problem is I need to lose weight. And they try a zillion things, none of which works because- they're just eating crap. You didn't put on get, put on weight. Instead, you had this breakdown um, that I got to think I'm, that that had to be pretty scary. There had to be totally, yeah. It was very frightening, especially for after my whole life spent moving. So, so talk about th- that period of time when you began to consider. Uh, putting putting animal products in your mouth again. What was what what was going on, and how did that all? Uh, how take us through that process? So you know, it's not it's not an easy thing because I know many of us, you know, have these identities. Uh, you know that your nutritional path is who you are. You know, I I've had to. I said, reinvent myself several times. You know, uh, I'm not a professional dancer anymore. I'm a health coach. Um, And part of that was just sort of spending time mentally talking with different people. Um, And it wasn't like an overnight thing where like the next day I started, went out and ordered a ribeye or something. Um, You know, you kind of sneak into it a little bit, have some eggs, you know, maybe go for some fish. Those kind of things, and then sort of the bouillon and stock, and it was, you know, more of a you know several months process of getting comfortable. Also, actually, I think you know it's other people sometimes who will cry, what you're eating meat, you know, you know that I think that's you know a lot of these experiences that I uh, I think I've had. Times of reinventing myself, whether it's going from vegetarian to a meat centric eater, is understanding that we all struggle with different things from time to time. Um, and, you know, coaching gives you that opportunity to be able to work through things with individuals. Phil, I, I want to ask you something and related to what Krishna just said about her identity. When when the idea of not being a vegetarian was was brought up, it was a threat to her identity. But she was she was able to make that change, that shift. Um, did you have an identity change when you started um, a, this different way of eating that that's led you to where you are now? Were you aware of something like that? Well, you know, I would say, uh, you know, I wasn't necessarily uh i i guess you know for me 
diet wasn't really part of my identity. What I was eating wasn't part of my identity. Um, so I wouldn't say I had to undergo that change. Um, but what I, where I have undergone a, a very dramatic change, um, you know, along the same lines is, um, you know, the, how I, you know, how I work as a doctor, how I function as a doctor, uh, you know, my, my mindset of, you know, that surgery was the answer, uh, to our problems and whatever <laughs> problems surgery couldn't fix medications could fix. Um, you know, that was very much my identity as a physician, you know, and I think that's the common identity as sure. a physician and to now be in the mindset that, you know, diet and lifestyle will can and should be fixing most of our problems. Uh, that is where I have undergone a major identity shift. With your coaching clients, Krishna, do you see, um, a, a, and I think maybe it's related to mindset, but do you see problems that are also rooted in identity that have to be changed? Very much. You know, um, I think that, you know, coaches are very, you know, sort of separate from, you know, the great work that the medical individuals do, where they treat, they prescribe, they diagnose. What we do is we really try to look at the whole person. We, we, what, what is their mindset? Are they ready for change? You know, there's even something very academic, which is called the stages of change that you go through where you're contemplating it or pre-contemplating it, contemplating it, right? You're ready for action. You're taking action. Then you're going to maintain it. We go through these, you know, life is not linear. Yeah, it will oscillate back and forth between that. Um, and I think mindset is also, you know, I like to use the word performance mindset. Obviously, I was a performer. That you can make equal with what's called growth mindset. And that's opposing to fixed mindset. You know, when I was vegetarian, a very fixed mindset. I thought this was it. I had it figured out. Somehow, a lot of in my 40s, <laughs> my body told me something different. <laughs> it yeah. said, this is not working. Um, and I think the the mindset is very important. You know, we talk in, in wellness, body, mind, spirit. Very hard to separate them. And I think particularly when you're trying to make changes in your health, we work on the body part, right? We work on the spirit part. And we try to support people on the mind. We're not telling them what to do. We're helping them figure out what it is they want to do. Um, go ahead, Phil. I think, yeah, I was going to kind of follow up on that a little bit and, you know, um, get into how important the mindset is to all of this. Because ultimately, you know, trying to you can't make people change. You have to help them change. And, you know, they have to want to change and, and be open to your help. Uh, and I know that's something that, you know, you utilize in your coaching uh, all the time. And like you said, that assessment of if the patient, if the person is ready for change uh, is, is a very big part of it. And, and 
getting them to the point where they're ready to change. Uh, how often do you see people come to you and they're telling you, you know, I want to change, I want to change, I know I have this problem, I want to change, and yet, you know, they're they're not ready to change, and you have to, you know, your first job as a coach is to get them ready to change. Talk about that a little bit, your experience with that. And that that's why I think co- coaches, that's their their forte really is uh, being able to have the, those interactions with people because helping them realize what their strengths are and helping to sort of build those up, you know, uh, work from out a strength-based uh, perspective because so much health-orientated has been, oh, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, and, you know, we try to help them with that. But then we have to also help them realize what are the barriers, right? What you're, you're recognizing this is a change you want to make and where's the disconnect? What are, what are those barriers that are preventing from you? And also to help them break it down easily to sort of doable pieces. It's impossible to tackle it all at once. And I think that often is what happens, particularly in America. I think we're very much an all or nothing. Well, if I can't work out for two hours, I'm not going to do anything. I, as opposed to thinking, well, I could go take a five-minute walk. Um, and I, I think where, where we deal with that, with this desire to change and maybe not being able to do it is to that piece it out for them, break it down, help them see, well, you can do this, right? That's already a step forward in that direction. And then there's a word we even use in coaching called stacking, which is try to get comfortable with that little piece. Maybe for instance, I give a good example. When someone says, I can't cook. Okay, well, if you're not taking charge of your food, you're missing out on being able to be in charge of a certain aspect of your health. Well, let's break it down. Do you not like to do the planning, the shopping? What, let's break all those pieces down and maybe we can help you figure out what pieces you need support with, right? Or are there other people in your household who can help you do certain pieces of it? So making it more simple, doable, and hopefully then actionable. You said something when you were talking about your history that, you know, broadly this shows about metabolic health, but you touched on several other behaviors that affect overall health you talked about as a professional i think of you i think of a professional dancer as a professional athlete in my mind it's just like that you're an athlete um and and you talked about sleep and we've had lots of folks talk about the importance of sleep and you talked about uh uh mindset and lots of folks talk about mindset but you said something that really struck me. You talked about social connections, how you became aware of how important that was to your well-being. Um, is that a problem for people today? I, I think so. And I think COVID has really put a heavy hammer on those social connections. And, you know, something... Maybe growing up in the Midwest, a small town, you know, 
seeing father with teens, all those kinds of feeling, you know, there's all these little communities. Also, as a as a dancer, you make productions with people, you work very intensely with them, you're physical, you're around them. That is a social connection, very strong portion of that. Um, I also think having had the experience of lived in two, you know, in America as well, as well or in Europe, both for long periods of time, you're able to see the variety of social connections and the different um, aspects of that. Um, and I, I think that that's part of health and wellness. You know, feel, feeling that you've got people you can communicate with, feeling people that are there both to support you, maybe challenge you from time to time. Um, you know, uh, there's a, the Dutch are very good at giving you right away their opinion. They're not going to uh, sugarcoat it. Uh, <laughs> um, which my, is, my son-in-law is Flemish, <laughs> which is almost Dutch, and I understand what you're saying. <laughs> It's um took me a while to get used to it, but then I, I grew to like it. Um and I think that things like our hobbies, our passions, you know, for some people they're very connected to their church because of the community, because of the social connection. It help it, it's part of our DNA, I think. What do what do you say to somebody if you're if you're as a coach, and I, I realize this might be a real individual specific type of answer you'd have to give. But but when you when you recognize this is somebody who's suffering from a lack of of those those social connections, as a coach, how do you help? And and I know there's people listening who are going, this might be me. I think the easiest way to explain it, I just give an example. And um, I know he would allow me to share this because I had a client that uh, was struggling severely with weight issues um, and had done even core in COVID because of not being able to get out. Our first breakthrough for him to be able to not only start to see weight loss, was he went back to volunteering at an organization that he was working with where he was mentoring students. He was very good with electronics and he was mentoring a group of kids that were, you know, learning skills, technology, and that. And it was reigniting this hobby passion of his and him being able to feel good about sharing some of his skills with others that kick-started his ability to be very sort of conscious about his health and markers started to improve he then started using that skill to do some food planning you know we got to focus on protein i mean you just never know for any individual what is going to be that one thing that helps them start making all the other connections. But it started yes. with just getting back involved as a as a volunteer. And I think that's a great example of, you know, as much as diet and lifestyle um, is you know, the most important determinant of health, uh, there's a lot 
that there's a lot beyond the food that you're eating that goes into uh, diet and lifestyle. And I think a good coach um, and quite frankly, a good, you know, medical practitioner uh, should be able to understand that and help you to understand uh, you know, those aspects of it, because it, it's not always as simple as saying, you know, eat this food, don't eat this food. Uh, I'd like to so, hear. It's, it's so true. And I, w- I would say also the, the advantage we have of coaches is we have more time than medical individuals do. Their time is very limited. And part of our process is to get to know the whole person. It's not just Maybe their struggles with weight or their struggles with food or like my struggles with my joints. But what other things are they even interested in that can help them stay motivated on improving all the other pieces uh, of their lifestyle? Because we we know it, it is the whole picture. Um, you can't just improve one thing and expect everything else to come along. Have you have you both seen a rise in uh, social isolation-related health problems over the last three years? Dramatic in my business. Just dramatic. I, I, I have never, and I know many individuals I work with, not only other coaches, but other therapists. Um, uh, we talk about the acuity level, that, that uh, the... Stress level, and as we know in metabolic health, if your stress is up, your cortisol is up, very hard to lose weight, hard to change some metabolic markers when you've got that constant. And for some people, it's staying up there. It's it's, it's having little downtime. And that's why I'm, I, I think it's great we've had this conversation about social connections because I think the mindset, the social connection, that's all going to help people sort of try to lower some of those stressors that uh, the lockdowns, the closures, the loss of your social groups, the just the the change. We started talking at one point about identity. Many people lost their identity with their groups that they were involved in. Yeah, absolutely. You've seen it too, Phil? Yeah, I mean, certainly we are seeing, uh, you know, increase in, in you know, many diseases, whether, you know, physical uh, health related and mental health related. And, you know, there's there's a very obvious uh, uptick now, you know, in just people being sick. And, you know, part of it, uh, you know, I, I, I do wonder about the impact of, you know, if all people hear about is sickness for, you know, three years, um, you know, that that's going to have an impact. Uh, you know, if if we just think that, you know, the messaging is, is that everyone is getting sick, everyone is sick, uh, that that, you know, in a lot of ways uh, ends up becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, uh, you know, it may or may not be, you know, COVID, you know, that that's what everyone was discussing uh but i think the bigger issue is just all we were all we've been focused on is is people being sick for the past 3 years and i think that is now becoming a a, a bigger problem as to what mm-hmm. that has led to um so it's uh there are definitely challenges ahead and it's it's even you know 
more of a reason that people need to be focused on their own health in a positive way. Uh, and I think that's what we're trying to do here. You know, that's, that's what the program is all about, the coaching program, um, and really everything, you know, the, the mission behind uh, everything that I'm doing and everything my team is doing is to get people thinking about their health in a positive way. And, and Krishna is such an amazing resource uh, for that, uh, that, is, that is available to people. Well, it occurs to me that that just having a coach, like it appears Krishna would be, and I know you would be, having that coach in your life, for many people, that might be that that uh, connection back to a, a social world that has been lost. Um, I know loneliness takes a toll that is measurable in the body, and you know maybe a health coach is going to be more than just eat this and lift that might actually be a lifeline back to life. You know, in June, 2021, the New York times came, had an article titled, we could all use a coach. And if you think about it, we've always had coaches, you know, we've got executive coaches, we've got life coaches, we've got sports coaches, you know, we talk, we use the word mentor and coach interchangeably. And trying to navigate your own health. I mean, I, my own toy, it was, it was lonely trying to figure it out. Luckily, I had some very supportive, smart people asking me, you know, questions, trying to work with me. But our current system is a sick care system. And <laughs> it, it, it doesn't have a lot of space. When you have questions about what something you might try, do you have somebody to talk to about it, to work through things because you change? Um, and I think the great thing about Bill's also is that you can do one-on-ones or you can be in a group because we all learn different ways. Some people love the group camaraderie. Some people don't. They like more of the individual. But there's not a single process of life where we don't need support tools. Or support people and health is isn't any different and it is just gotten so complicated and what we're trying to do is help people see there are a lot of things you can do and some might even be some might be a little more challenging than others and also to help them realize there might even be a lot that they're already doing that's really good you know i had a presentation last week where i talked about you know if you make that list of things you're doing I bet the list that is good is a little longer than the other ones. So let's focus on that 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 longer list. Um, and we're going to, by osmosis, get to some of those other ones. Yeah, focus on the positive, strengthen the things you're good at, and and uh, see if that momentum doesn't help to to strengthen the things you may, might not be so good at. I was just reading a little book. Um, just finished it last week where it was a, a guy who grew a tiny little air conditioning company to a multi-gazillion dollar powerhouse. And that was one of the things he was talking about. Strengthen people's strengths and the weaknesses will kind of strengthen themselves. I thought that was a fascinating uh, perspective. I wanted to go back to a, a comment you made earlier. Um, you talked about a type of movement that helps you 
repair yourself in, in reference to Pilates. That phrase, uh, repair yourself with movement, really struck me. I've never heard that before. Would you mind kind of expanding on that? Well, I, as someone who spent most of their life communicating with their body, um, I've come to appreciate the the phrase movement heals. Movement um, heals. And I think, we, you know, a perfect example is this. When you're not feeling so good and your mood is so bad, what do you do? You go take a walk, right? Get outside. <laughs> get a new focus. Get a new perspective. Um, but on a more concrete way, I, where I was coming from with that was dance like competitive sports or anything like that. It can be very repetitive where you're doing day in, day out, month in, month out, the same movement. Um, that's like, you know, a car that is having to do the same things, but you now and then take it to the mechanic. For dance, what that can be is doing other types of movement that are different from that that you're performing in. Um, be it like one of the two, my two big cross-training things as a performer were swimming and Pilates. Because blood is a little more three-dimensional, it's not as impactful. You're still utilizing your whole body, but it's not under the stress of jumping, all the kind of things that that have harder wear and tear on right. the body. Um, and other movement modalities, be it some people to use yoga or things like that. I think where we we feel those of us are, you know, sort of very movement orientated, it's getting input from other modalities right i've never i've never thought of <laughs> i've never thought of exercise i know this just is, to, to hear this thought in my head just seems so dumb but i'm going to say it anyway i never thought of exercise the things we do physically to get fit i never put them all under just the category of movement obviously you're moving but but to use that phrase movement heals that reframes it for me that reframes the whole thing for me cuz i i can look at my own life and obviously yeah um just just moving will help get me out of a funk um yeah that's cool all right i dig that thank you for <laughs> for sharing that um, um and on a practical way for a coaching standpoint, I, I like to emphasize to people, think of movement also particularly in just a daily strength. You've got your structured exercise. Maybe you like doing weight training or um, you go to some class at the gym or something. But then you have to think about how much do you move during the day, right? We know, yeah. and I don't like to go into the fear campaign of sitting as a new smoking. But, <laughs> um, we all sit too much. So, um, and just breaking up your pattern, you know, getting people up, uh, getting a new perspective that has to also, uh, have some good attention. I have to think that it's not so much the sitting as the not moving, because if I had a standing desk and I stood at my desk, not moving for eight or nine hours a day, like I sit at my desk without moving. I can't imagine it'd be much better. I just well, I haven't I've standing desk is great. 
uh, I, I, I would just say how, how, however you can move during the course of the day, make it happen. Very good. Yeah, definitely, definitely would agree with that. Well, uh, Chris, now tell us about, uh, uh, your, um, uh, where you can be found online and how folks can, what the best way is for folks to connect with you. Uh, absolutely. My website is square one wellness and it's the number one with the whole intention of trying to get back to square one, make it simple, make it doable, make it fun. And same handle on Twitter, same handle on Instagram. Um, I like repetition. I like to repeat things. <laughs> and um, of course, I'm on LinkedIn, but just by my name. Chris good. Well, Phil, anything you want to say to wrap it up today? Just, uh, you know, we'll also put a little plug in the ear for uh, the coaching program at iFix Hearts. If you want to uh, be able to work with Krishna, you know, one-on-one -on -one or in a group uh, coaching setting, uh, I would encourage everyone to come over and, and see what we're doing there. You know, the, the motivation I had for starting that coaching program was to get um, people the help that they need. Um, you know, not everyone needs uh, to work with a heart surgeon or, or you know, like myself or uh, has the opportunity. Um, physicians' support can be very difficult to obtain these days for diet and lifestyle issues. Um, so the the purpose, the mission, the goal of starting the coaching program was to get this help available as a resource for anyone who might need it. Very good. Well, for uh, Chris Nahanks and Dr. Philip Ovedia, I'm Jack Heald. This has been the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. Go ahead and visit uh, Dr. Ovedia's site at ifixhearts.com. Take that metabolic health quiz, sign up for a coaching program, like and subscribe to this podcast. And uh, build yourself some good karma for the future. And we'll talk to you all next time. Chances are you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't need to change your life and get healthier. So take action right now. Book a call with Dr. Avadia's team. One small step in the right direction is all it takes to get started. Contact us at ifixhearts.com slash talk. That's ifixhearts.com slash talk.